every person that I encounter in my day, mm-hmm. I hope I do something positive for them. Mm-hmm. And it can be something as simple as holding a door open. Mm-hmm. Right. But then, but then you look at every person mm-hmm. that you meet in the course of your day mm-hmm. as a true human being. human being. Did you know 90% of women prior to incarceration had suffered from sexual and emotional trauma? And 70% of incarcerated women are mothers. The majority of the women returning home will not be able to retain employment with family sustainable income. Fit to Navigate provides hope and well-being. Learn more at fittonavigate.com. What's up? It's Rocky. And we'd like to welcome back all our mind-body tumors. We recognize it's been a while and we're super excited to bring about our season three. Season three, we're going to talk about the community and how it affects women that have been formerly incarcerated or who are now out and trying to get back on their feet. We're excited to have some great guests this season, and we look forward to spreading more and telling the story of how people overcome. You know, the whole thing is you get your mind right, your body will follow, and you become that gem that you are designed and destined to be. No more of this attention destiny disorder. We are well on our way and looking forward to our season three. Welcome back, Mind Body Gemmers. On this episode, we decided to bring an expert in the field of women's health. She's retired Dr. Janet Lucas, also um, my for, former OBGYN, as well as my new auntie. Not new, we've been knowing each other for quite some time, but we're talking hormones, menopause, women taking care of themselves, and regulations and things like that. Also, what she's doing now after she's retired. Welcome, our guest, Dr. Janet Lucas. Speaking of grandma, how are you enjoying being grandma? Oh, I, you know, I always felt that my happiest achievement in life was becoming mom. Mm-hmm. But then I became a grandmother. And that's like mom on steroids. I enjoy my grandchildren immensely. That is wonderful. There you have it. Uh, Dr. Janet, a retired Dr. Janet Lucas, Mm -hmm. saying how being a grandma is being like a mom on steroids. It's (laughs) a wonderful, truly, truly gifted blessing. What um, leads us to how you became a surrogate for a bunch of moms to, you know, women to become moms and also to the point where those children are now having children and you got an opportunity to see that before you retire. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, like how you um, came about in your career and how did you know you wanted to go that path? Well, this is ancient history, but if you'll indulge. Yes. Um, I always wanted to find a way to take care of people when I was a child. I had a great aunt who was a nurse. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I would follow in her footsteps Mm -hmm. because I admired her a lot. 
But she said, oh, no, dear, you, you, sh- you are to become a doctor. That's the way she put it. You are to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had a little stuffed animal hospital set up in my bedroom. And I would perform appendectomies. And she showed me how to. You already have patients. Uh, <laughs> she showed me how to tie knots, you know, suture. It was thread. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, she just presented an option to me that I didn't really consider. I was six years old. Right. And there was nobody to tell me, no, I couldn't do that. Right. So she's probably the one who started me on the path of wanting to become a physician as a way of being uh, a healthcare provider. Wow. She planted that seed and, and allowed you to see it, but be a practice, like mm-hmm. practicing with that. Yeah. I that- mean, it was, you know, a child's game, but still that, that sort of kept it in front of me. And- yeah. I just never lost that passion once she started it. And, you know, being a doctor could have just been a MD or you could have been a podiatrist or, mm-hmm. you know, DO, those kinds of things. But how did you become to be uh, OBGYN? Oh, yeah. How did you narrow that down? Well, women's I, health. I, I, I wanted to go to medical school. Like, okay. You know, and so working hard in school, you know, mm-hmm. in high school and then college, you know, in order to prepare. Okay. There are certain requirements that you, you know, had to achieve um, to even apply to medical school. Mm-hmm. So um, I was the beneficiary of some good counseling in high school and college about which courses I should take. And when I was in college, I, you know, I was taking classes with a lot of other students who were pre-med. And we shared our goals and ideas about applying and mm-hmm. taking um, the MCAT, which is a kind of test that prospective medical students take when they're in college. Right. And I thought that given my interests that um, becoming an allopathic or an MD mm-hmm. kind of doctor rather than an osteopathic mm-hmm. or DO kind of doctor would just suit me better. Okay. Then I was very fortunate to apply to medical school and be accepted. Um, yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah. I, I went for an interview at, at Ohio State mm-hmm. when I was in my... Um, you know, last year of college. Uh, and uh, I can still remember it was Hutch Williams, who was a faculty at, at OSU College of Medicine in the department of OBGYN, mm-hmm. interviewed me. Mm-hmm. And I had gone to a really non-traditional kind of college that uh, was based on a lot of independent study. Okay. And we didn't get grades. We we received evaluations that were written by the professors. And a lot of them were insightful and, and probably told you a lot more about the student than a traditional grade. Right, exactly. But it just took some patience to go through that kind of a record than just scan down and see what somebody's GPA, you know, mm-hmm. looked like. So, and he just happened to be a very patient, kind 
uh, interviewer. Uh, you know, obviously, I was nervous. Yeah. I hadn't interviewed at any other medical schools at that point. And uh, he put me at my ease and talked a lot about his experiences and why he went into OBGYN. And that really made an impression on you. And uh, then the, the interview ended, and got back in the car, and was on my way back to college. And he was kind enough to call my parents my, and speak to my mother. Right. And, and tell her that they would be accepting me. Wow. <laughs> uh, that they felt that my background in a sort of non-traditional college would be something that would be good for their new program. They were developing what they called the pilot medical school. And um, the first year and a half would be independent study. Mm. And they wanted students who were comfortable in that setting um, because it was all the basic sciences. Mm -hmm. So instead of sitting in a lecture, we did a lot of the reading and we were probably some of the first students at Ohio State to use computers. We'd go to the library and do tests. Yeah. And, um, and we worked in groups. And, uh, of course, everybody then got back together after that to do the clinical time after that. Right. When you went to your different fields to mm -hmm. do the clinical rotations. And that was a time when people would then decide, you know, if they wanted to go into primary care or mm -hmm. internal medicine or OBGYN. Mm -hmm. and, um, I had a really good experience on my OBGYN rotation and also in pediatrics. So I was sort of torn between pediatrics and OBGYN. Because mm -hmm. that was, again, after you had your own kids, it was like your superpower. Well, but I, I hadn't had any. Yeah, and at that, that time, no, but, you, no. but you just still had a love for kids. Right. And um, I uh, thought I was destined to be a pediatrician, you know, because I remembered the doctor that I'd seen as a child. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful. And I wanted to do the same thing until I met a uh, professor in OBGYN at Ohio State University named Dr. John Boutsellis. Mm -hmm. He was just truly amazing. And he, love to teach. You could just tell the minute you met him as a student and um, he, uh, I guess he enjoyed, you know, having me around and that I expressed an interest in his field. And uh, even when I was done with the rotation, you know, he, he wouldn't let me forget how great that experience was. had been. Mm -hmm. And he, he would stay in touch. And, uh, you know, if I, saw him in the hallway at the hospital, you know, he would always put in a, a plug for he just watered that scene. over <laughs> pediatrics. Yeah. He just watered that scene. And at, at that point, um, there really weren't any women in women's health care, which is the ultimate irony, of course. <laughs> right. But, and it became almost a, I want you to accept this invitation, but I want you to do it because you want to do it. Mm-hmm was his message. Right. We need more women to come into our field. Mm. And I think you would be a good fit, mm. but you have to know that yourself. So, so you know, I thought it through and uh, I realized that, you know, there's a little bit of pediatrics in OBGYN. 
right the obstetrical to babies the, uh, <laughs> um, specialty allows you to understand embryology and fetal development and you know the the uh, needs of the fetus during labor and the immediate needs of the newborn after delivery. And I also, as a medical student, discovered that I really kind of enjoyed surgery, observing it, and participating as much as medical students do, which right. really isn't that much. Okay. But, and OBGYN kind of combined all of that with the center focus, the central focus being women's health care. Right. So, uh, yeah. With everything that's going on right now, I mean, in your history of women's health care, I know that you have mentioned, we had talked about what's going on in the arena of you know, politics and women's choices and mm-hmm. things like that. And you said something very profound about women choice, pro-life and pro. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and this is not an original thought with mm-hmm. me, but the idea that someone can profess that they're pro-life but not really care or do anything about the support of that child once she's brought into the world right seems to me to be a conflict right um that seems to be more like a position of being pro-birth mm-hmm. rather than pro-life right right i never thought about it like that until you yeah. said that right and once again, I don't take credit for no, that no, yeah, but idea that's yeah. been said before. But um, obviously, I respect a woman's right to choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't think there's a, a person in the field of OBGYN. I don't think there's a thinking adult who is aware of the situation who would who would um, be against the abortion rate going down. Right. Right. But what does that require? It doesn't require legislation. Mm-hmm. It requires uh, better health care for women, access to contraception, mm-hmm. opportunities for education and career development. Right. Uh, those are the things that will result in the decrease for the need for abortion. Right. Common sense. Common sense. Yeah. However, uh, going back to what you said when your <laughs> mentor he 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 wanted you in the department mm-hmm. he wanted to be your own choice of choosing right. you were in the right. de- department where he knew that it was pretty much a male dominated yes. field right but he saw in you that you could trailblaze and be and um not only being a woman and and not having children just yet but being able to make an impact or be a visual a visual compass for a lot of women who are coming after you in this field. Well, he was sort of my role model when I began teaching. Right. And um, I started to teach almost as soon as I finished my training, Mm -hmm. you know, and because the enthusiasm for teaching that he had was something that I absorbed as well Mm -hmm. as the factual information that he gave out. And I also knew that I probably learned more from the students and the residents than I ever taught them. Right. Right. Because you're, you know, you're in it. They're in They're it. stimulated. You're getting some yeah, mind you, all the time yeah. and, through their questions and, and it, not, you know, not just academic questions, mm-hmm. but 
the questions about how you conduct yourself as a professional. Mm. And, you know, it, it leads to a lot of self-examination, which is never a bad thing in a professional. Not at all. Not at all. I think that uh, every person should have a person to show them their blind spots so you can grow and evolve, evolve right? Oh, I agree. I, I used to tell my residents especially that the most dangerous person I ever met was an arrogant professional. And by that, I mean somebody who... Thought they know it all. Well, they, they lost the reason for why they went into the field, mm-hmm. whether it was to provide health care or counseling or advice or create, you know, something for their client. Mm-hmm. If, if all they cared about were the diplomas and the Credentials. awards and the recognitions, then they've lost, lost their the way. Essence of- they've lost their way. Mm. And um, that arrogance is so dangerous, especially in someone who's making life and death decisions. Right. Um, and the best way to, to sort of steal yourself from becoming that is to be the best listener you can possibly be. Because it was through the patience you see that our young doctors, our residents, right. would learn the important values of becoming a professional, mm-hmm. becoming a physician. Being able to hear the information in order to be able to help. Yeah. It, truly listen, though. You know, truly being listen. a good listener mm-hmm. is taking your eyes off the computer mm-hmm. and hearing what the person says. Right. And then framing your questions based on what the person is saying, mm-hmm. not the laundry list that you've been taught to ask. Uh, yes. So. It changes from patient person to patient to patient. Yeah. So that way you don't turn into just a machine, like running people through your office every 20 minutes with oh. asking the same thing over and, and over. And I think we're You're really, really at risk for that. Of course, I'm retired now and I retired, you know, when the whole medical records thing was mm-hmm. just, you know, underway. And, um, and the pressure that's put on physicians, especially doctors who are employed by big health consortiums, hospitals. Yeah, they're given a schedule and they know they've only got 10 minutes. And if they fall behind, they're going to get into trouble. Oh. And, you know, it, so, you know, that here we the are, side of the patient. Like yeah, here we are trying to help these young physicians maintain their humanity mm-hmm. when, you know, when they're going to go out into the world and they're going to be on, you know, on a clock, basically. Yeah. So that puts pressure on because you're no longer looking at it as the person, the human being that's sitting in front of you. You're looking at it as these metrics that you have to meet. Yeah, that's the order danger. To, that's that the danger. That, that they can fall into. We we tried every, very hard to make sure that they they never lost the the empathy that's so important in mm-hmm. healthcare. And never lost their sense of humanity. Right. Um, I've been through quite a few doctors and, you know, uh, you being one of them and now retired. But I do remember um, I met you through becoming being your personal trainer. But then um, when I saw how caring you were about, you know, what you did, I immediately changed it over to... um, to your to your practice and you became my OBGYN and you helped me with some things that 
for one, teaching me to take better care of myself as a woman with hormones and needs and things like that. Um, but also at a time when I had my very first major surgery and you cared enough to say, I do this, but I want to really put you in this person's hands because he is top notch. And you reminded me just the other day, like he was top number one out of all of the people in the nation to come out, you know, to take this test. Right. Mm -hmm. And here um, I was in his hands because you cared enough and put your empathy, but also like you didn't have any ego about what you were doing. You just said, I care enough about Rocky. I want her to have the best and he is the best. And you were there with me and my mom and everything. And I knew that I was very nervous. You prepared me for it, you know, but that right there to me just really, um, it was a point where you just became family to me at that point, because that's what you would do for people that you truly care about. And I know I'm just one of many patients, but it was like, you know, she's the best at what she does. One, because mostly important because you care. Um, that's when I got to meet your wonderful mom. That's when you met my mom. And, yeah. and then, you know, for my mom, it was the fact that because here I was already under the anesthesia and I didn't know exactly what was happening. But I do remember Dr. Sakalik like praying for his hands to be guided by a higher power. I was going under at that point, but I know my mom reminded me mm-hmm. that this man mm-hmm. now became an instrument via God and for the best outcome. It was That's a nice little vignette, isn't it? Yeah, that was just like awesome to know that this person is not working on me like a mechanical car, like a car, like, you know, he really cared about what he was about to do. And he knew Mm -hmm. it was a life on the table. And I thought that that was wow. And again, for you to say, listen, this is what, who we're going to set you up with and be my angel in that, in that sense. It was amazing. You also helped me, you know, mentor me about making sure I was get, checking my, doing my mammograms and things like that. But most importantly, Janet, you helped me at a time when I was in entrepreneurship where I didn't have the money to pay for healthcare. And you were like, listen, Rocky, your health is more important than me getting money and come to the office and get this done, right? That right there, again, another kinship. Not that I was looking for a favor, but you saw you saw that you were gifted enough and you were blessed enough to be able to help a person who was not necessarily in the finances to be able to pay for health care at that point. But it was important enough for you to say, you know, book the appointment, set up the appointment, I'll see you. And when I got there, you treated me as a patient and not as someone you were doing a favor. Thank you. And I, um, that leads me on to say, it's just like, you know, how our relationship has grown. I was on the phone the other day and I was talking to my sister and she was like, you know, she knew I was in New Hampshire, but she was like, you know someone in New Hampshire? (laughs) And here we are. Um, You've been retired for almost three years. Uh, Just a little over two. Just a little over two years. And we are in your home in New Hampshire where um, we are like honored and um, very happy to come and visit. This is our third visit, and it's a place of retreat and quietness and 
and things like that. You were in the industry for over 30 years, right? Yeah, I practiced for 37. 37. And, and, and taught also for 37 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, you having the vision of knowing where you were going and how you were going to do it. And you were, you were saying, Rocky, you know, five more years of aesthetics. Now I'm no longer doing that. And now I'm just teaching and, you know, going on call here and there. But you you were looking at the finish line and moving in that direction while still being very present in, in Columbus, Ohio. And I know that you were coming here often back and forth and making the transition. Now, you are coming from a bit, you came off this very busy schedule, right? On call, teaching, um, the practice. And now you, here you are in a place where people, again, would say, well, and my neighbor even said, what's in New Hampshire, <laughs> right? And it's all God's beauty here in <laughs> glory, in peacefulness, in nature. Um, but yet, yet, that's here for you, but you're still, you still haven't stopped with making a difference. Making a difference, not, you know, you're no longer in that community. Now you're in this community, the New, New Hampshire community, and you are still very much involved in civics, <laughs> your civic duties. And I heard you say the other day you were out there canvassing and doing these things. So what allows you to just still have that after 37 years of up and down, emotional and grad? I mean, mm-hmm. like, well. Coming from the city. Right. Um, I didn't have time for those things to become more active in privileges of citizenship. Okay. When I was on call. Right, right. Doing all these things. Right, 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 right. Uh, When we were able to have some time to regenerate, we'd like to come here. Right. I want to stick a pin in that too, like the talk about the importance of regeneration. Yeah. Okay. And so this was a place where I would get re-energized, mm-hmm. but then I would go, go back, back and that energy would go into my, my work. Mm-hmm. So coming back here and, and living full time, mm-hmm. um, it's still as regenerative as ever. Mm-hmm. And um, we feel so fortunate to be here uh, that it's it's easy to understand why you'd want to give back right. in that situation. Mm-hmm. And we just found some other ways to do that. Right. I know in my personal training, my relationships are very important. And they also allow me to hear about where my clients travel. And then I would envision myself going there and seeing. I know for many years you talked about New Hampshire. I was like, same thing. What's in New Hampshire? <laughs> oh, I don't ski. It's too cold. <laughs> I've seen the pictures. And I came, we came here and I just fell in love with the place. And you're like, you have to come in the fall. And we came in the fall and just the colors. And again, for us, regeneration. Mm-hmm. Connecting to what's real and not connecting to the social media or the phones or the things like that, um, having that downtime and, you know, seeing 
in real life, the amazing photos that you put on Facebook that allow that allows us to still vicariously live here. Um, just the importance of building relationships over time. Mm-hmm. After you retired, I could have been like, well, Janet's gone. But it was very important for us to, especially since you invited us, to, to get here, to get here, to see. Um, I think oftentimes that because we grew up differently or where people think, oh, no, that's not my thing. That's not my culture. But how do we grow? How do we get to really know each other if we don't take each other up on these invitations, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And we've had some intimate, very intimate conversations, you know, overweights and at your house for dinner, but also here, just the downtime of being able to share. And I can't appreciate you, one, for just being an auntie of mine, but mm-hmm. also an ally in speaking about, speaking against injustices and things like that. What is it that you would tell other people who are non people of color, like, what would you share with them? Because oftentimes, you know, like you said, someone said being black is exhausting. Like, but I don't have to teach you in, I don't have to share, Janet, this is, I share my experiences, but you get it. You get it. How do we have that conversation? Well, that might be a little harder to parse. I th- I think one of the things that kind of guided me, mm-hmm. and, it, and it really didn't have anything to do with medicine per se, but was the idea that every person that I encounter in my day, mm-hmm. I hope I do something positive for them. Mm-hmm. And it can be something as simple as holding a door open. Mm-hmm. Right. But then. But then you look at every person mm-hmm. that you meet in the course of your day mm-hmm. as a true human being. Human being. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not only, oh, I hope they think good things about me. It's not that. Mm-hmm. That's not what I mean. I mean, if they do see me professionally, mm-hmm. I want to do everything I can to, to help them. Mm-hmm. But then it, it, you know, what preceded that was just this general idea of I want to walk in his or her shoes mm-hmm. and and have a good mm-hmm. impact on mm-hmm. that person who whoever it is that I encounter, right. you know, somebody that I you know meet grocery shopping, right? But, you know, it's just <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that, I know that's very simplistic. No, no, but. But if you have that as your starting point, how can you not see common humanity? Mm. How mm-hmm. can you not be aware of the struggles? That's the part that's frustrating. That anybody that you're, that you're encountering, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they're going to have the, you know, the, their own story. Right, right. And, you know, as a physician, we want to know how that story is involved with their health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just take it a step further. So let's get to that, because um, oftentimes with the stories in, in relation to health, especially women's health, mm-hmm. you know, women take care of everyone else. We tend to take care of everybody else and not take care of ourselves. And 
Um, so true. It, also, we deal with the things of hormones, which is not necessarily in the big world looked at as something that that's real, right? Could be, mm-hmm. oh, she's just complaining. She's on her cycle. <laughs> she's having a hot flash. When it's a real deal, right? Is there something that's very real? I mean, real? if you go back and look at the origin, even the semantics of our world, the word hysteria is the same root word as hysterectomy. To me. Ooh. <laughs> right? Hysteria, so some, the same so root somehow, word. Okay. You know, there's this uniquely female craziness. Right. That, you know, only affects women. <laughs> And I mean, it's just incredible. It's it's deeply embedded in culture Mm -hmm. that somehow the hormonal makeup of women makes them somehow inferior. Right. And, you know, that goes back to the beginnings of civilization, basically. Hysteria and history to me. Okay. so. Since we know that 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 is a thing, mm-hmm. how is it how important as a woman um, is it for for you to, to to start to take care of you first? Like think about these mm-hmm. things. Um, well, that also is something that kind of is rooted in a very basic idea. Um, if you're working hard to the point of exhaustion, mm-hmm. the end result is going to be less effective and Mm -hmm. less efficient Mm -hmm. than if you simply get rest first. I mean, I was constantly telling my students that, Mm -hmm. um, rest, you know, rest, there it is. You, you, if you work yourself to a point of exhaustion, Mm -hmm. then you're not going to accomplish anything. Right. It's it's just that there is a doctor culture that, well, you know, we have to be tough. We have to be available 24-7. We, you know. Well, it's, it's, like the, it's like adopted that in the in the mass culture, too. It's like this thing is like grind every day, team no right. sleep, da, right. da, 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 which, right. again, goes back to what? Hysteria. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I found that, that my female colleagues seem to have a much harder time mm. of taking their foot off the pedal. Mm. And understanding that they need some downtime. Mm-hmm. They need to rest. Mm-hmm. Because women in the field of medicine always felt pressured. And I know you're familiar with this mm-hmm. concept mm-hmm. of doing twice as much, twice as well mm-hmm. as their male counterparts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, it's the same way in the fitness field. It's like, you know, we have to show that we are strong enough to be in this. Or it's either hyposexual that you have to show, you know, boobs and blah, blah, blah. Anyways. Yeah. But that notion that we have to overprove ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Overprove ourselves. And so I tried, you know, to get the message across to my students because I didn't want them to end up mm-hmm. um, sacrificing their health to get through medical school. Right. And, um, you know, we see very high rates of uh, depression and suicide. Mm-hmm. in uh, physicians mm-hmm. and and especially in my field of mm-hmm. OBGYN. Wow. And I think a lot of it starts very early on in medical training mm-hmm. um, when people don't set parameters for 
how hard they're going to work for how long. Right. And they, you know, know that they need to step back. So I'm a but that, it's a hard lesson. I it mean, is, I, it <laughs> I, you know, I was very gung ho and I, you know, didn't want to miss a thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it took a long time for me to understand that I needed to, um, you know, give myself. So that the opportunity to, to rest and rejuvenate. So once I understood that mm-hmm. I became a much better healthcare provider and a better advisor to my patients. Mm-hmm. So when my patients came in and they were overburdened, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had to say, you know, we have to start with you. Okay. And right. we have <laughs> to make sure that you put yourself up there with all of your other priorities with the same amount of esteem. Mm. Yeah. And then we can go forward with your health issues that you came to see me about today Mm. because you're just as important or more than all of your responsibilities Mm. because there, you know, those things are contingent upon you being here, you, you being the the healthiest and, and, and happiest. Mm. that you can be as the first step to women's health and empowering yourself is making sure that you mm. are putting yourself up there right. to be as one of your responsibilities to be taken care of. Right. Without, you know, not without saying, you know, this is just something else you're failing. At. No, 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 no. You without know, saying that, you, but yeah, you, you, it's, it's, and, and it is amazing how many people are surprised by the concept yeah. first. Right. Because, you know, they, never gave themselves permission. Right. Right. And they've accumulated so much uh, stress and and heartbreak. Mm, that's, a, that's a hard one when you, when you it's, it's a sometimes a difficult concept to give yourself permission. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Um, and and I think some of that also has to do with your who your role models have been mm. in, in the past. I have a two-part question here. The first part is like, because I want to talk about the inside and the outside. When I say inside and outside, you know that I have this, the fitness business on the outside, but also the social enterprise where we work with women on the inside. So just the basics of top priorities for women to really, you know, benchmark and start take care of themselves and choosing your expertise. What would you say? Like, make I know with me, it's like, making sure you're getting your mammograms. And mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. can you just, a basic marker, mile marker, or things that we should do as women to make sure that we're always taking care of ourselves in that way, mm-hmm. down in the logical way? Well, um, there are plenty of um, things that women who are alive now mm-hmm. and who've been living since mid-20th century mm-hmm. are facing that women in the past never faced. Right. We're spending a good 30% of our lives after menopause. Mm. Whereas a woman who lived at the turn of the last century, Mm -hmm. the early 1900s, the life expectancy was mid to late 40s, early 50s. So most women passed away before even reaching menopause. Oh, and now. And now (laughs) we are 
I'm using air quotes here, yeah. blessed with longevity. Right. But we are underprepared mm-hmm. for a healthy life after. after menopause. Okay. So you really need to start getting ready for that <laughs> when you're in your 30s. Okay. Just to use bone density as an example, we reach our maximum bone density mm-hmm. uh, by the age of 32 to 35. Okay. And after that, the best you can do is maintain your bone density. Mm-hmm. And um, that is resistance training, things pulling on the bone. Absolutely. Walking. Mm-hmm. Um, and also making sure that you get enough um, dietary calcium mm-hmm. and vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And so those are dietary choices that even date back earlier. Mm-hmm. Right. I, mm-hmm. I mean, you arrive at that maximum bone density based on not only how physically active you've mm-hmm. been, but, you know, your dietary habits. Yeah. In your 20s and teens. Right. Uh, that's very important. So mm-hmm. that's just the basics. Right. And that's for people who have the freedoms to to be able to do so those things. Mm-hmm. Um, much like the some on the outside and in the inside, there's minimal resources. When I say inside, it's the inside women's institutions where the rate of in which the amount of women that are now incarcerated has increased over 400% in the last 20 years, 25 years or so. So we have more women who are incarcerated and um, without a lot of a lack of resources, meaning sanitary things and, you know, maybe going through some things that have been developing in their 20s and 30s and now they're going to go through menopause. Just on the basics, I know you talked about earlier about rest Mm -hmm. and sleep and things Mm -hmm. like that, but if you have minimal resources, what is it that a woman can can do to just tap into how she's taking care of her health Mm -hmm. as a woman? Mm -hmm. Um, Would that be like physicals or just, you know, Basic appointments. Preventative health care. Yes. is extremely important. There are issues that are unique to women mm-hmm. that, um, if not recognized and taken care of, will shorten their lifespan. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole gynecology textbook probably that I could go into. Mm-hmm. But the one topic that um, screams out to me is the issue of cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. And how different it is in different populations in terms of its survivability. Okay. Um, Early detection Mm -hmm. can result in cure. Right. And we know that there's a connection between a sexually transmitted virus Mm -hmm. and cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. So some of that preventative care is accomplished through vaccinations against the virus Mm -hmm. during the the between years, Mm -hmm. um, male and female children. Okay. And that prevents not only cervical cancer, but uh, oral cancers Mm. uh, and throat cancers Mm. that are related to this virus. Okay. But who has access to those vaccines? Mm -hmm. I mean, I fought this in the um, teaching clinic. With the residents, we tried to have access to that vaccine for our patients. 
who were not covered by private insurance mm-hmm. and were not always signed up uh, for Medicaid. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were self-pay. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have permanent addresses, so they couldn't start the whole process of even applying right. for Medicaid. Um, and they were at high risk mm. for, for cervical cancer. This is the ideal population to approach when they're in their early teens about immunization. But it's expensive without insurance. Right. So the irony of all this is that we were seeing good vaccination rates in the very low risk groups. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. their parents were aware of the, of the risks of this sexually transmitted virus. So they were making sure that their kids got this low risk children were getting immunized. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the high risk was getting nothing. Correct. Mm. And that's still, there's still a, a, an imbalance of care. Mm-hmm. And that is, is still crying out to be addressed. And that's just one example, but I think it's a good one because it points out the, a preventative cancer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one yeah. of the few cancers that we can honestly say we can prevent with a vaccine. Wow. Wow. And typically, as in much of cases, it's available to those who are low risk, but those who are high risk, it's something that is not available so much to them. In the absence of funds. In, in the absence of I'm going to use that term, universal health care. Universal health care. Yeah. yeah. Right. And you think that if we had that, that would be very helpful for a lot of women? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I mean, it's tragic when anyone loses their life to cancer. Mm-hmm. When a woman in her 30s dies of cervical cancer, mm. that's unspeakable. Right. Un- it's unspeakably tragic. Yeah. Because that could have been prevented. Mm. What's a test that women can have to to have that? So um, we used to rely on just the pap smear. Okay. But now there are other tests that involve checking for the virus. Okay. That are combined with pap. With the pap smear. Mm-hmm. So basic pap smear done once a year, twice a year. Um, most majority. The guidelines uh, kind of vary mm-hmm. um, depending on the individual's age. Mm-hmm. And her status in terms of being sexually active or mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. and uh, other health issues, mm-hmm. uh, women who have autoimmune disorders okay. uh, or who have taken, had to take medications to suppress their mm-hmm. immune systems, mm-hmm. then the virus can be more active and cause more problems. Wow. So those individuals would get, require more f- frequent testing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move on a little bit to, to just hormones. And obviously, like you just said, people are living a lot longer after menopause mm-hmm. and a third of their lives, third of their lives. Mm-hmm. And so regulating hormones, because mm-hmm. we know hormones that are out of whack can make us feel some kind of way <laughs> um, yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> pretty bad yeah. Right. Yeah. And so what are some basic things that women can I mean, again, going back to sleep, Mm -hmm. sleep is a great hormone way to help regulate hormones, but other things. Um, Or sleep can be disrupted because of hormonal imbalance. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, 
a lot of women complain that their hot flashes disrupt their sleep mm-hmm. patterns. And I like to um, call them then, private summers, private summers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Doing my part to contribute to global warming. Yeah. We are under, we definitely understand that, you know, some women make this transition different than other women. Mm-hmm. So you really have to individualize okay. for one thing. And for an individual who is not having problems Mm -hmm. and they are experiencing menopause with relatively few symptoms, Mm -hmm. then they probably don't need any type of hormone replacement therapy. Right. We talk about bone health. Mm -hmm. We talk about physical exercise, the importance of balance. Mm -hmm. Right. As you get older. Yes. Um, We we talk about. how do you make your home safer to prevent falls and accidents? Mm. Because um, nighttime falls and injuries account for one of the largest reasons for hospitalizations in elderly women. Right. So, you know, those are the things that you can address for those women lucky enough to not have to deal with the deficiency of primary female hormone in this situation was this estrogen. Right. Uh, but then there are other women um, who have a terrible experience. Right. And they can't rest well, so they don't feel well during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't have a lot of energy. They don't mm-hmm. feel like exercising. Mm-hmm. They... Um, but sometimes they just think they're depressed and it could just be something they, as much as they, You know, they put on unwanted weight. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they don't feel energetic enough to exercise. You know, it's kind of this yeah. vicious cycle. So we do find that short-term hormone replacement therapy, and I don't even like that term. Yeah. It's not, you're not really replacing because nothing ever comes. Just adding to. Right. Your short-term hormone therapy during that transition time can actually diminish the severity of the symptoms. Got it. But won't prolong the menopause. Mm. And it just requires titrating doses and then tapering them off. Right. In a way that would mimic a natural menopause. Right. And we do see that if you limit the amount of time spent on the hormone replacement therapy. Right. You don't increase the risk of breast cancer. Breast cancer. Mm. So you're helping with that transition. You're making it easier for her to take care of herself and maintain her health, mm-hmm. but you're not giving her more risk factors yes. than she had before, before, she's before she started had. menopause. Right, mm-hmm. right. And wow. then, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of research done on what types of estrogen, what, how they're sourced. Are they plant-sourced? Are they artificially created? Are they mammalian-sourced? You know, there are all kinds of options there. So that, that once again leads to individualization, what the patient yeah. prefers, what right. she feels comfortable with, if she even wants hormone therapy, mm-hmm. um, because there are some non-hormone medications that can help minimize the symptoms, right? but are not hormones. But are not hormones. Right. And, you know, if you have all those things out of whack, you could really just think that you're almost, like I said, in a state of depression. Well... If you're not well rested, 
and you can't go out and function, feel good, or have vitality. You know, and, and, yeah, enjoy life. Yeah. Yes, there's a greater risk of depression in women who are going through menopause. There's no question. And could be some points of mental health issue. Well, I think depression is mental health. Right. Is, I mean, is part of how you see yourself in the world and how you see the world coming at you mm-hmm. is a reflection of, of your mental health. Mm-hmm. Well, there you have it, women. There you have it. We must be more proactive at taking care of ourselves and checkups, breast cancer, breast, breast exams. There yeah, are pap smears, pap smears. Just tests for cervical diseases. Tests for cervical Screening for sexually transmitted diseases. Mm-hmm. Sleep, if you can. Important to get okay. enough sleep and to get enough exercise and to give yourself permission to take the time off that you need. That you need. Because mm-hmm. in the long run, you're, you will be more productive. Right. Well, you're, are, you are a living example of that. You yeah. gave yourself permission. Well, you, now, you know, give credit where credit's due because um, I uh, started seeing you when I was 42 or 43 mm-hmm. and until all the way up till I retired and at 65. So 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. And I credit you with be- keeping me in the game, <laughs> keeping, me, keeping me energetic and able to. Run marathons, half marathons. Well, well, that was uh, kind of a funny thing that happened when I was about 50. My next door neighbor, you know, was getting into the running. And I don't know if he just wanted company, (laughs) in misery, you know, because (laughs) he loves company. But he decided that he was going to, and and I had been just jogging around the neighborhood Mm -hmm. when I could, but I didn't really have a goal. And he decided that he wanted to set the goal of yeah. running his first marathon. Mm-hmm. And um, he knew that there was a half marathon happening mm-hmm. coincident to that mm-hmm. full marathon. That right. he was. So he just started egging me on. <laughs> and before I knew it, here I am. Out there in full job. <laughs> following the, you know, a running schedule to, for, to take you from, you know, basically being a walker. Yeah. To jogging America, uh, wow. marathon. Wow! And you know, my feeling is, if I could do it, anyone yeah. could do that. And and once you, and then you get the bug because yeah. once you complete one, it's like, wow, you know, um, what an accomplishment! Yeah, I can I do that I again. I don't want to lose my, <laughs> you know, level of fitness. Yeah. You know, I'll back off a little bit, but then maybe I'll just start training for another one. Yeah. And so I ended up pretty much doing two or three a year Oh yeah. for about nine years. You did. Absolutely. And then I decided maybe I should protect my knees. Mm-hmm. So I've switched over to other activities. types of activities, which fortunately there are an abundance of here in New Hampshire, Absolutely. as you've seen. Yes. The hiking yeah. trails have been amazing. Yeah. And you yeah. live near a national forest. forest. Yeah, White Mountain National Forest. A White forest. National. Yeah, yeah, I mean. And so here she is, retired. But busier than ever, she is taking photos of amazing species and monarch butterflies. She, um, she during quarantine, she built a pond and 
beautiful landscape, beautiful landscape. Oh, just a water feature. Water feature, yeah, she yeah, added. Yeah, yeah, um, not, not really a pond. But, yeah. Um, but it was, yeah. yeah, we wanted to have. Oh, that's right. A, a water feature, but you already have a pond, but yeah, you built yeah. a water feature. We wanted, we wanted the water feature because it's sort of a place of meditation. Absolutely. It, it is. The sound just, of water. Um, so I, I dug out the flower bed oh. to go around it and I laid the flagstones hmm. and we transplanted a lilac bush. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. we, that's, you kept it busy with, with this quarantine thing. Yeah. It was like, well, we can sit around and do nothing. Or we can get a lot of projects. Or we done. can just, you know, create that to-do list and really attack it. Yeah. And in the process, yeah, get some good exercise. Yeah. So she yeah. takes amazing photos. <laughs> She's, Make sure she takes care of her civic duties and she donates to the campaigns that she people she believe in. She canvasses for the people she believes in. They have Nana Camp here um, where her her grandkids come out and they really explore. And I mean, they're not too far from here, but they have a great time with the, with the grandchildren. They go camping, they fish, fly fishing. I saw some fly fishing. <laughs> um, she just really stays busy. And I am so honored that you are. You and Cheryl both are aunties and you have invited us on several different cases and is a little bit trying to get us to move here, which <laughs> it's almost over to 50, 50 percent meter now. But I still haven't oh, had a, I still haven't I'm had so happy to hear that. I still haven't had weathered a weathered a winter here. However, um, really thinking about it. Let's come for a visit in the winter. So yes, you can see. exactly. And we are grateful for your and the Segedish's friendship. Yeah. It means the world to us. Thank so you. it's our honor. Thank you so much. As well. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for being a guest and taking time out of your time to be on our Mind Body Gym podcast. Well, we believe you, the mind, you change the mind in a positive way, the body follows and you become a gym, G-E-M, that is diamond, sapphire, whatever jewel it is, and move in purpose, move in purpose of life. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to tune in to Mind Body Gym, a conversational podcast. This podcast was designed with the mission to fund women's freedom via fitness. Special shout out to our strong supporters, especially the Love You Give Project. Check out their merch. It helps us support our podcast and our feature organization, Fit to Navigate. If you're interested in hearing more about our mission, follow us on IG at Fit to Navigate. Thank you for the fam that we have that has supported us. Eric Jefferson for the artwork, his wife, my sister songstress, Renee Dion, and her tunes, Wilderness, and Natalie McCray Cross, the photographer for our album cover. We really appreciate all the support and all the strength that we get from you. Remember, until next time, forward is always the pace. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard today, make sure to like and review this podcast. Also, make sure to share this episode. 
Lastly, subscribe so you'll be notified of our next episode. Thank you and have a blessed day. What's up, Mind Body Gemmers? I would like to hear more from you. So I'd like for you to text me at 614-808-8566. I'd like to collaborate more about what our listeners would like to hear more of from our guests and just hear what you think about the podcast. Again, text me, 614-808-8566. Let's do this thing. Did you know 90% of women prior to incarceration has suffered from sexual and emotional trauma? And 70% of incarcerated women are mothers? The majority of the women returning home will not be able to retain employment with family sustainable income. Fit to Navigate provides hope and well-being. Learn more at fittonavigate.com.